Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Every episode has made an impact on the, oh, I'm going to tweak this, I'm going to tweak that. But there have been particular moments that Armand and I can point to where it's been like, oh my gosh, this is going to change the way that I do X. You always hear, if you have a big fat pipeline, you're going to have a great time as a salesperson. Well, you also need to know how to do some discovery so you actually win the deals you bring into your pipeline. And that was with our great friend, Joe Caprio. And that's the one that really changed it for me is the whole product-led sales mentality. There are so many times where I'm like, like I can tell this customer is giving me the one word answers. They came on, they clicked the request a demo button and I'm trying to ask them discovery questions. And don't get me wrong, I still do discovery every single time, but there are times where I felt like in the past, whether it was giving them pricing, whether it was showing them the product, I was putting roadblocks in front of my customer. And so now upfront, I always ask them like, hey, how much do you know about PAVE? And are you the kind of person who sort of wants to see it and ask questions along the way? Or do you want to talk about what you want to see first before you see the software? And that primes them and gives them the permission to actually buy into the conversation, like Nick just mentioned. But then also, I don't deal with this like uncomfortable moment halfway into the call of, am I going to see a demo or not? No matter how good your upfront contract is. And so stop wasting your time with the bonding and rapport on the front end, give good meeting, and also don't put all the roadblocks inside of your sales process. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we got another repeat, the number one most watched guest of all time, our first episode ever, Joe Caprio. Absolutely amazing number two. Nick, why should people listen? So if you've ever told a customer that you need to do a little bit of discovery before you get to the demo, Joe's going to actually flip your perspective on that. Three, two, one, flip this episode on. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. 
Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now, we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. All right, Joe, welcome back to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. Okay. So in my opinion, your buyer's life has changed. So it is time to adapt the way that you sell. Life's different this year. At a minimum, we're not going to the office anymore. You know, So maybe they used to use your product on a desktop. Now they're using it on a mobile app. Maybe they used to use your product looking over their teammate's shoulder. And now they use your product in conjunction with something like Slacks or Troops. Right. So you got to think about both how you're describing a day in the life of a user of your software. And you got to think about the way you're laying out the steps in your sales engagement. You got to ask yourself if those things still jive with the way your buyers behave now. Cool. What's number two? Tip number two you got to focus hard as part of this on champion enablement because the dynamic of their business has changed and they don't have the same meeting cadence. They don't have the same communication style as they used to. And so the old tricks of champion enablement are gone and you have to think about new ways to get your message to the buyers through your point of contact. Beautiful. Round us out. What's number three, Joe? All right. This one should feel obvious based on what I've just shared. Stop gating things of value. This old school mentality of enterprise sales is dying very quickly. You can get a demo after I get discovery, right? I'll give you the price after you tell me who signs off on purchases. This entire thing reeks of selfish sales behavior, okay? So as asynchronous evaluations continue to rise in this industry, the stubborn seller optimizing his or her win rate over the buyer experience is just not going to work. So you mentioned that the steps in the sales cycle have changed because of COVID and because people are at home, right? Could, could you give us a sense of what you mean by that? Sure. I'll tell you right now, there are entire businesses that are changing the way they let people buy their product. I think salesforce.com is an amazing example. This is a company that was notorious, famous for not doing trials for years. Don't do trials. You go on their homepage right now, all they want you to do is start using their product. And it's driven by VCs. It's driven by the investors and the board members, the advisors. They're saying, get more lean, get more product-led. Okay. And so entire businesses, industries, verticals are being disrupted by freemium point solutions that never used to exist before. And your buyers are getting used to it. 
And so if you're still marching out there with the old legacy logic of like, talk to me and then I'll decide if you can move forward, you're cutting yourself out of deals. That's what I'm talking about. Joe, the one area that I struggle with around this is I've always been told before I show somebody a demo, I've got to understand, I got to do a little bit of discovery. Like, what do they want to see? And so I feel uncomfortable as a seller being like, all right, yeah, let's just get right to the demo. So how do I make sure that I'm being relevant and focused without just like showing them a generic webinar? You should. This is this is driven by by um, sales thought leaders and by sales trainers and by outsourced enablement shops trying to justify their existence by trying to get salespeople to think that they're the reason customers buy. That's over. Okay, it's over. I don't need a salesperson. My wife and I sold two houses during COVID. Right? We bought three. We've moved millions of dollars of our own money without ever talking to somebody. We did all the, on our iPhones with our thumbs. And then I want to buy a $12,000 product for my business. And I got a 22-year-old salesperson telling me that I wouldn't understand their demo unless I give them discovery first. It's illogical. Go on your website right now. Every website has a dropdown for products or offerings or use cases. And it bifurcates your software into vertical and roll. So if you could do it on your website and I can come in here and I can read about your product based on what vertical I'm in and what role I'm in, then why can't you just give me a demo knowing what vertical and what role I'm in? Why can't you segment your pitch the way your website already does? So how are you continuing to gather information and make sure that the demo is still tailored to them? What does your sales process look like now? It's amazing, right? So I have a, I have a condensed first call. It's 30 minutes and I offer. In the beginning of the call, I said, are, are you here with an active project you want to tell me about and maybe see if I can help you? Or are you here to get an overview? You know, And if people want me to give them an overview, I do. And it's a five-minute demo. But if people want to tell me about their problems, I listen. But I give them the optionality is the difference. And Armand, it's funny. Like In the 50s, they wrote that book about Sandler, right? And they talked about the Sandler submarine. And they said, don't move forward until you've closed down this section. And once you finish the section, you never go back to it. Okay, but we all knew we've known for years. That's not really how it works. You do discovery on every interaction you have. You do discovery on a trial kickoff. You do discovery on a closing call. You discovery on a, on a customer kickoff call. So why are we acting like it has to be lily pads across a pond when the entire thing is fluid and amorphous and ever changing? So this is recent for me. Uh, I switched from Carta to my new company, Pave, and we have more of an enterprise sale. And I'm having a hard time because I used to be used to like discovery demo, close, right? And now it's like this ever evolving process, right? And so I guess my question to you is, how are you continuing to move the sales cycle along? Like what, what's a good sign for you when you know you've been able to demonstrate enough value to move to the next step if you're starting to now break up the sales cycle into more fluid steps? So we, we kind of talked about this last time too, about understanding what the milestones of your process are and about trying to lead your customer to those milestones. And so at the end of every meeting, I just ask a really basic question of, you know, have we accomplished what we set out to accomplish on this goal? And are we ready to insert whatever has to come next? Whether I've met one stakeholder, maybe I'm asking for the other stakeholders, right? I've done a demo, but not really done full discovery. I'm asking to do a separate discovery call. Right? We've uncovered one of the use cases, but there's more to talk about. I'm booking time to do those things. We understand the value of the product, but we haven't really talked pricing. I mean, you know what the major pieces of getting a deal are? And so there is still some like motion of you being a shepherd in guiding people through the motion. It's just less rigid and it's less about you. And it's more about inquiring 
what the prospect or the champion needs in order to get to that next step. And it's just being a little more flexible than we used to be. And it kind of flies in the face of a lot of the training that we've been getting. And so for me, again, it's about providing optionality. And so I'll ask in the beginning of the call, I'll ask them if they're here to talk about a project with me or if they're here to just learn what we do. And I'll ask them if they want to bring other folks in to talk to me or if they want me to somehow enable them from a distance. And what they tell me, their preferences, that's the way that I sell to them. Okay, can we talk about this enabling from a distance sort of thing? Like, okay, one of the things that I run into a lot is I have customers who want to talk about our data security process and what backups and recovery look like for our cloud platform. And usually the way that we accomplish this is I grab my company's VP of technology and I grab their company's IT director and I put them together on a call where I make an introduction and they talk tech and security. If that's not happening, what does champion enablement look like so that we accomplish the same goal? Because I'm seeing something here, Joe, where I almost kill two birds with one stone. If I'm empowering the buyer to take care of that conversation on there, and I'm also saving myself an hour of a meeting that now I can put towards cold calling or they're selling related activities. I mean, you just nailed it, right? Again, it's about optionality. And if their preference is to have a conversation with you, connect those dots and have that conversation. But if their preference is not to come to a call, because I'll tell you right now, I never want to talk to a vendor. I never want to talk to a vendor, even a vendor that I've already paid. I want my team to engage with a vendor. I don't want to meet you. I don't want to talk about it. I trust the people that I hire to run their function, build out their tech stack and accomplish their goals. I don't need to be involved. Okay. So the idea of like, go get your boss, right? It's very, very selfish behavior because you don't actually know if I want to be involved. So you've had these interactions in the past. And I think what, you know, market penetration on call recording software is pretty high right now. So we're all using a chorus or a gong or whatever, or you can go get a loom or a vidyard or whatever, or a, a bomb bomb, and you can message out five of the last interactions that were like that. You could give your champion a recording of the demo. You could give your champion a recording of the last time you, like whatever the question is that, that's at stake. You could just send them recordings of you doing those things, or you could build out a demo for Armand and a separate demo for Nick and a separate demo for IT and a separate demo. And you could record these things. You send them out over email, right? There are a hundred ways that you can enable your champion to do the selling for you internally, and it doesn't have to be bring your boss to the next meeting with me. So I think one of the challenges that mentally salespeople need to get over is when you're working with a champion, it's, it's hard if this person is, I don't know, an HR manager and a marketing manager, and they're thinking about below the line issues, tactical problems, but then you are expecting them to go and pitch to the CMO or the CHRO who's thinking all vision. And so how do you accommodate for the fact that they're stuck in the technical problems, but the CHRO is going to be one of, is going to want to think about vision and and bigger picture problems. That's the perfect question, Armand. Like that's the that's the exact question. So the biggest the biggest problem here with champion enablement is if you don't do it well, to your point, they're going to go in and pitch personal value. This will save me so much time, right? And nobody is buying software to save employees time. Right, because a busy employee just works on the weekend. And so you really want to ask them as they're really keying in on what they care about with your product. And you could tell they're starting to jive with you. They're starting to nod their head. They're really starting to dig what you're selling them. You want to make sure you stop at that point. And you say, wait a minute, how does this connect to a business project? How does this connect to a business objective? Or what's the OKR you folks are working on? Or what's the active project that we're talking about right here? And you want to make sure that if they haven't yet, 
At that moment, they connect the synapses in their head and they say, hey, I'm never going to get this product. I'm never going to save myself this time unless I can sell it upstairs. Okay. And if you help them connect that aha moment, that's the opportunity for you to start being a consultant. So what, is, what does that look like? They're like, you know, I'm not really sure how I'm going to go back and have this conversation with Armand. Like, I think it's really going to help me. And I think it kind of connects with the initiative of we're trying to get more listeners this year, but like, he's kind of a jerk sometimes when I go to him about spending money. So I used to train, I used to train salespeople and I, I would explain this to them. I'd say, Hey, listen, one of my goals on a first meeting. Okay. One of my goals on a first call is at some point I need to ask questions that make the prospect realize they don't actually know, okay? I need to move them to a, to a place of insecurity because they don't know the answers. They're the one that's in pain and has a problem. And once you have that dynamic established, that's when you can start to take control of the conversation, okay? So you have to, as uncomfortable as it is, you have to ask questions until the prospect acknowledges to you that they don't have the answers. And then you're a consultant. So every, every business out there has a, a limited number of ROI drivers. ROI drivers, either increasing your conversion rate, decreasing your sales cycle, increasing your pipeline, whatever it might be, right? So these are the outcomes that we promote. And so what you want to do on a call is you want to figure out which of those outcomes is right for this prospect. And when I sold at Chorus, I sold call recording and a big ROI was decreased ramp time. And so I'd ask him, right? How many reps do you have right now? And how many reps will you have by the end of the year? And what's your average onboarding time? And they'll say, oh, six to seven months. And I say, great. How many reps have you hired this year? How many of them were at quota within seven months? And I'll ask really specific questions, and they don't know the answer. Of course, they don't know those answers off the top of their head. So you ask questions that lead to the ROI of your software until they acknowledge that they don't actually have that business under control. Because if they had it under control, they wouldn't be on a call with you in the first place. So one thing that's always challenging is even asking those hard questions is uncomfortable enough. But let's say in that case, you were selling course and you've gotten somebody to say like, yeah, no one after seven months has hit quota, maybe like one of the last 10. How do you tie that back now to what you do? Because there are probably a million things that impact that, right? So if I had somebody that was really, really going to be vulnerable and tell me the truth like that and really come out and say, I have nothing in place. I have none of the answers. Like I'm totally broken. I'd slow way down and I'd acknowledge the, the honesty and I'd thank them for it. And then I'd ask them some things they've done about it in the past. And I'd ask them like, who else have they talked to about this? And is this become a company initiative or not? Because I think at that point, you probably have a really hot one on the line. And it just comes down to like making a friend, earning some trust, and then laying out like a good, believable path to success. And you're probably on the right track there. So if you can get somebody to really admit that their current state is broken, you know, stop selling, stop doing discovery, don't be a jerk about it, and go into rescue mode. So one of the things that I want to ask you about is we've got listeners and a host even who are in positions where, like, I can't just show a customer a demo. I don't have demo credentials. I have a solutions consultant who's actually the one that shows the demo. So the way that my process goes is I have an initial conversation with the customer and sometimes it's five minutes. And like, I kind of agree with your philosophy of, I want to have like this, this sort of soft pipeline where it's people I've engaged with. And if they want to opt in to go deeper and work on a project together, great. But I've got other people that kind of want to just get a 30 minute overview. And what I don't want to do is tick my solutions consultants off by being like, 
just show a demo. I want to give them a little bit of prep so they know what they're walking into. And so selfishly, how do I walk that line between giving the customer a, a positive experience and also not making my solutions consultant be like, come on, Nick, these notes are junk. So gating is a, is a concept in, in B2B SaaS marketing or any marketing. We're going to gate our content. Give us your email address and you could read the ebook, right? Give us your register here. Give us your cell phone number and you can, you can, you know, get on our webinar, right? But it's dying, you know, like the new hotness in B2B SaaS marketing is ungated content. And look at what we do, right? We're all LinkedIn thought leaders. We don't even make you come to our website anymore to get our content. Okay. We put it out there on social media and buyers are getting used to that and they're coming to expect it. And the problem is the entire market is ungated, free education, customer led until they meet a human being. Okay. And so it gets really personal and really aggressive and they get really angry when they think you are gating the stuff that they want, whether it's a demo or a, or a pitch or a price or a trial, whatever it is, they think you personally are gating. And when they pressure you on it, right? I thought I was going to get a demo on this call. You give them garbage answers. Like, well, you wouldn't understand our product unless I got discovery or, you know, whatever, right? And they know what you're doing. You're optimizing for win rate. You're not optimizing for customer experience. So it doesn't have to be a demo, but it has to be some form of education. Load your website. Walk through the value prop on your website, load a YouTube video, right? Load some slideware, pull up a case study, tell a customer story, explain why you joined the company, talk about the last customer you closed and how you helped them. Deliver some form of value prop and educate the buyer because that's what they want. They're not saying, give me seven clicks in your product in a row that equal a demo. They're saying, tell me what you do, tell me what you do for me, and tell me why I should care. So I think on this note, one of the things that you're doing is you're probably showing software earlier and you're blending software and discovery together. And so how do you piecemeal the demo over multiple calls versus these big hurrahs that are the traditional enterprise sales motion? It's, a, it's an awesome question. So there are two things I do there in the demo and then throughout the calls. So in the demo, what I'm doing is, is a bit of guided, guided discovery. Okay. Hey, I'm about to load the first screen, but I got to ask you a question. You know, are you red or blue? Okay, cool. As I get into the second screen, let me ask you a question. Are you a one, two, or three? Okay. You know what? Most people that are A want me to go to this direction, but if you're a B, I should go to this direction. And they don't even realize it's discovery because they're seeing new screens and new clicks and they're getting what they want, which is education. And they're feeding me tit for tat. It's a trade. Right, I give you a piece, you give me a piece. I show you a card, you show me a card. I show you the next card, you show me your next card. And we play together. So that's in the demo. And then across multiple calls, it's a harbor tour on the first meeting. So a five-minute overview. This is what we do, okay? And then you do 20 minutes of discovery. What'd you like of those four things I showed you? Which one mattered? Why does it matter to you? How does it change your business, right? And then on the next call, you go deep on that use case, and you, you demonstrate more of that specific use case in your product while still tying back and teasing out the other value props in your software so that maybe you should book a call with another department head over there because of something you just learned on this call. Or maybe you should book another call to pitch value prop number two to the existing champion, right? Harbor tour in the first meeting, deep dive on the second meeting. During the deep dive, you're still doing discovery, pulling out new value props for new stakeholders. And then because you were chill on the first meeting and you gave the demo, this prospect now trusts you and introduces you to their colleagues. And you start all over again. Harbor tour in the first meeting for the new stakeholder. 
and then full deep dive on the second call where you're pulling out additional value props for additional stakeholders. Take your time, meet the full organization, pitch the full product, but how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? I love this. I remember it was really, really challenging for me going from like the one call close environment to a multi-threaded sales cycle. And I would show them everything in the first call. And I would just be like, uh, what do I do on the next call? Like there's no depth here. And so Harbor tour, deep dive, next Harbor tour while you're multi-threading and then more deep dives from there. I guess the last question is the elephant in the room. I think I know your answer to this, but what about pricing? People withhold pricing probably even more than they withhold the demo. How do you handle that? That makes me crazy. We can't give you pricing until we know the specifics of your project, right? Like I can't give you a demo until I get discovery. Well, I can't give you a price until we're six weeks into an evaluation. You've fallen in love with my product and now you can't quit. They see right through you, okay? So I, I can't give you specific pricing until we get more details on your project, but my last three contracts were worth X. Problem solved, right? You told them what they needed to know, which is high level. Is this a $500,000, $5,000, or $50,000 product, right? But you didn't really commit to anything. You didn't get yourself backwards. You just give them a range. It's what they're looking for. They might want to know the dynamics of the model, right? And you may want to share that. You may want to share the dynamics on the second call. That's fine. But at the end of the day, it goes back to what we're talking about. Find out what they need for them to feel like they're running their process and give it to them and then get what you need. You know, Joe, one of the things you've talked about a lot today is like, you're not optimizing for win rate, you're optimizing for buyer experience. But I actually think by giving pricing early like that, you are optimizing for win rate. I feel guilty about this sometimes because like I'm doing what you're doing. I'm giving customers pricing the second that they want it. I'm, I'm proactively offering it on the very first call because I don't want to waste my time with somebody who can't afford what I'm trying to sell. And so I actually think that meets with my, like, I, I feel like those two objectives meet of optimizing for win rate, but also buyer experience. It's like, yeah, I want to give you the pricing because if you can't do this, we shouldn't be talking. There is something very, very dangerous about adhering to sales logic that has been around for decades, okay? While the world changes around us and while the way we live our lives change, okay? There is something really, really dangerous about sticking to legacy sales logic. And so 10 years ago, okay? Maybe you were the only source of information, but that's not the case anymore. Everyone listening to this has a competitor with a freemium offer. Everyone, okay? Everyone listening to this can go on YouTube and watch demos of your product, my product, my competitor's product, whatever. The information is out there, okay? And we, the, the, the age of buyer in SaaS is shifting younger and, and the, the people that are now evaluating and buying software are very tech savvy. I'm old, okay? And I did 10 years in manufacturing before I went to my first startup. So I'm old and I'm out of touch, okay? But you guys are not. You guys are super tech savvy, super sharp, and you're the ones that are evaluating and buying products right now, okay? So if you're still marching out there like the classic gray beard legacy enterprise salesperson thinking I'm the oracle of information and I'm the gatekeeper to you moving forward, okay? You're making your buyer mad and your competitor is not behaving that way. And so while you're saying, hey, thanks for waiting a week between website CTA and first call, wait another week and I'll give you a demo on the second call. And that two week span, your evaluator, your champion, your buyer went on your competitor's website, installed a trial and has been using their product for a week and a half. And you're still telling them wait another week and you can get the demo. 
It's over, okay? This way, this legacy logic of enterprise salespeople being the oracle of information, it's over. The world has changed. Is it product and volume? Is it, is it like, I've got a good product, and the more people I talk to about that product and give, 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 here's pricing, here's demo, here's a video. It is. I'm just going to get, it's like inbound deals are closing almost. It's, it's called product qualified lead. Right. You used to have MQL. Now it's PQL. It's somebody who understands what your product actually does and then is interested in talking to you. This whole thing of like, let's do a discovery call so I can find problems in your business and then try to match my product to that problem. That's enterprise sales. That's consultative selling. Right. But it doesn't work anymore because we all know the solution to our problems. You're not going to just trip into something that's broken with my business and then backfit your pitch to be the solution to that, right? You're not going to solve my email cadence problem. Outreaches, you know what I mean? So it's not about manufacturing something that you can solve. It's just about putting your value prop out there in a very clear, concise way so that when the buyers come in, right, they know what you do. They know what they need. They've already educated themselves. And then you're basically just like taking them on a tour and shepherding them through the procurement process. So like if I'm thinking about if I'm outreach, if I'm a rep at outreach and I'm competing against sales loft and you come to me, Joe, you're right, right. We've, we've got an email sequence problem. I'm better off accelerating your ability to adopt the product. I give you a free trial. I give you pricing. The second we meet, I dump everything at you. I'm like, here's everything you need to buy. There are some instances, there's a small percentage of deals where maybe I win if I, if I do more discovery and tie it to some larger business case and right, we trip over something that there's a bigger chance. But the incremental win rate boost from that is not worth the fact of better buyer experience. And in the time that I save, I could go talk to six other sales leaders who are now going to buy my thing, right? If I were competing with Outreach and Sales Loft, as soon as a company MQL'd, I'd go cold call five of their BDRs and get one or two of them to take a trial of my product and use my product for the next three weeks and then not even tell the boss and just be selling to them like I normally would. And then a month into the engagement, I'm like, you know what? These two kids downloaded my free trial a month ago. They've been using it ever since. Boss walks over to those two BDRs and says, how's Outreach? How's it work? Do you like it? Should I buy it? And they buy Right? It's really about getting them into the product as fast as you can and proving that your software works. It's not about enterprise sales anymore. That's how I would compete with Outreach and Sales Loft. All right, Joe. I'm in love with this philosophy. This has been an awesome episode. We're changing the final question again because we didn't like the last one, and you've inspired me. This is a question inspired by Joe Caprio. We're going to start asking this to all guests. So what is one piece of sales dogma that's out there that you think is just total BS and needs to be thrown in the trash? Discovery before demo, period. Stop making it about yourself, okay? Stop requiring discovery before you give a demo. Your demo's on YouTube, your demo's on your company's website, and I don't need a demo from your competitor because they have a free trial, okay? Stop insisting on discovery before demo. That came out in the 60s when the Sandler book was first written. It no longer fits the way people buy technology in their personal lives and how they want to buy technology in their professional lives. And all of the massive growth, the fastest growing companies in 2020 during COVID were all product-led organizations. Product-led is the future, not enterprise selling. Beautiful. Anything you want to plug before we hop off here? Go to getreprise.com. We just launched a new business. We're exiting stealth mode. Go get a free trial on my website. Well, Joe, I like you. I want to give you 30 seconds. Can you tell me what Reprise does and how it might help somebody? Sure. Reprise is a new technology that intercepts your product's UX as it's interpreted by a browser. 
And what I mean is we clone the front end of your software so sales and marketing leaders can create their own demos instead of requiring the engineering team to build your demo. So if you're frustrated with your demo environment, go to getreprise.com and I'll build you a new one. Beautiful. Thanks for coming on, Joe. Stick around for a 60-second recap from Armand coming up soon. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Joe Caprio include number one, stop withholding the demo from your prospects. Ask them up front. Hey, you want the high level overview? You want to jump right into it? What do you want to do? Number two, on your first call, give them the five minute harbor demo. And then in the second call, you can go a 30 minute deep dive on the first thing you do. Then from there, you can multi-thread five minute harbor demo, 30 minute deep dive demo, repeat. Number three, do not force yourself to power. You can enable your champions to have those conversations. You do not have to grab the throat of their boss. And then number four, if you have to get to power, you can ask your champion strategic questions that they'll need power to answer. So Nick, how could people help us out here? So I keep going on LinkedIn and I see these posts where people are like, what podcast should I listen to? And someone inevitably comments 30 minutes to President's Club. And then I look and like that person's a third degree connection. And I don't know, every single week, I put a lot of time and effort and energy into writing up like a recap post of this show. And so if you're not connected with me or Armand, you're missing out on more 30 minutes to President's Club goodness. So here's the ask. If you haven't connected with us, connect with us and put something in the message so we know you're not some rando trying to sell me leads or podcast generation services. So thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.
This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. 